and God's work continually happening in our world that he's working in people's hearts to actually want the word of God. That's amazing to me to see that people actually desire the word of God, to hear it, to eat of it, to partake. Um, and so I'm just encouraged here today to see you guys together. And let me encourage you that if you're beside a little one, like an infant or a baby that's making noise, let me remind you that that stuff don't bother me. Uh, so hopefully it doesn't bother you. And the reason why I say that is because I visited a church years ago where um, the pastor told me that it had been years since they had any little ones in their church. You know, they were a church of maybe 12 or 13. And we did a we did a joint service with them and we brought our little ones and they were running around like crazy making noise. And then I was like apologizing and say, I'm sorry. And then the pastor was like, no, please don't apologize. Let them run around because we have not heard this for years. You know, and this is a blessing to us, you know, and so children are a blessing to us and not burdensome. So if they're making noise, just deal with it. It's all good. They're a blessing from God. The fact that our church has many of them is a blessing from God. Children are a blessing of the Lord. And so our church is blessed with children so much that we we're talking to the rec center across the street for our teenagers because we dismiss them every other week. And we're hope, hoping to use that facility to send our teenagers there. It's right across the street, right there. And we'll have security. Everything will be fine to free up downstairs because downstairs it gets a little crazy. You know, so we need to pray for the workers down there. And if you're a parent here and you have not considered to contribute to that, well, you know, pray. And I hope that you're convicted about it. You know? <laughs> we need workers. We need people to step in and love on our kids. And again, not everybody can love on, you know. We do child clearances, we do uh, what we do, but I would encourage you to think in terms of serving your community, your church. Uh, we need it here, definitely. So with that being said, uh, let's go to Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11 together. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke, and we're now entering into chapter 5 together. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, and we use the English Standard Version here. Luke 5, 1 through 11. Starting in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them, and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, 
He fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. When they had brought their boat, their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You're a good, good father. We thank you for this passage, Lord. It speaks of your heart. God, I pray that those in need desperately to hear you today would hear you. God, we need you. We need you today. God, I just, I'm overwhelmed by the fact that you have always been compassionate and gracious and merciful. And in times of discipline, Lord, we needed you. And you disciplined us for our good. Your discipline speaks of your love for us. Your provision speaks of your love for us. All that you do speaks of you. You are a provider, a loving father who loves his children. So, Lord, I pray for anyone today that needs to hear this, your word, that it would fall on fertile soil today and bear fruit. So we love you and we thank you today for your goodness. We ask, Father, that our ears and our hearts will be open today. We ask this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. What has your reputation shown to others? Do they see someone who can provide a clear gospel message with integrity and reliability? Or has your life demonstrated that God's word is not valued? A man once complained to Mark Twain that the Bible was all jumbled up, inconsistent, and filled with passages he could not understand. Mark Twain re replied by saying, I have more difficulty with the passages I do understand than with the passages I do not understand. Talk about living this message, right? The, the passages themselves that are clear are still difficult for us to understand. But that is why we have the Holy Spirit. And if we have the Holy Spirit, then we should be showing evidence of his work in our lives. We should be showing that God has summoned us to a life of living out the word and a life that seeks to see others come to Christ. We should show it. The world needs conviction. In fact, the work of the Holy Spirit is a work of conviction. That's what he does. The world needs conviction and a people that seek for their faith and for their salvation. That's what we call the Great Commission. I say this because many think that sharing the gospel is monolithic. In its message, the content of the gospel never changes. But the methods vary. Right? There are many ways the gospel can be communicated, the cipher spot being one way. Right? 
To us, in our culture, in our way of doing things, right, in, 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 in breakdancing, hip-hop culture, we who come from that culture see still people we love and care about in that culture. That's an unreached people group. I'm about to call the Joshua Project and say, hey, one of our brothers went to India, to Delhi, India, and went to a jam out there. And he saw hundreds of breakers and b-boys there that need Jesus. And he came back fired up and he called us to a breakfast. I asked him earlier, like, yo, what, are you okay? He's like, nah, I'd rather not talk about it. I'm like, oh, man, I hope he's all right. And then he ended up just saying, look, I went there. We need to do something. So we're looking for churches. Some of us are talking about flying out there and connecting with some of the b-boys out there and connecting them to a church, hopefully flying them over here to see what we do, to reproduce what we do here, there. But see, that can't happen if we have a wobbly life, a wobbly church, a church that doesn't have conviction, a church that would be hesitant in talking about repentance. So there are many ways we can communicate this gospel, but there's only one message, one gospel presentation. There's only one gospel that God has given us to preach. God has called every believer to a life of conviction where the gospel is essential and central in our lives. This call can be very intimidating for many reasons, right? I can't do what Carla does. Carla can go up to anybody and talk to anybody downtown. It's amazing. Like, she'll go up and be like, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? And if they say, no, no, I don't want to hear about that, okay. And then she'll go to the other person. If it was me, I'd be like, who are you talking to? <laughs> you, just, you know, rejection for me, I absorb it, I process it. We need Carla's, man. We need people going out there and sharing unashamedly the gospel. She understands that the gospel's essential. It could be very intimidating to us, but not everybody's a Carla. I can't do what she does. We have a sister in our church who, she can't do that, but she can bake. And she has baked for our outreaches. And she'll sit there at the table and pray that God will bring one to faith. The gospel is one message, but definitely it could be communicated several ways. But we all are called to live a life of conviction. There was one reason why we can become paralyzed and ineffective when it comes to the work God has called us. That one reason is sin. Sin brings death. And for the believer, it will cause us to be ineffective and, in fact, paralyzed. Been there. Have you taken time to think about your sin? Is it practice sin where you care nothing about the consequences? Is it sin that you are wrestling with, where you are struggling and waging war against your sin, where at times it gets the best of you? Or have you felt sinful, unworthy, unclean, and unable to go before God? Am I alone? 
Let me tell you, there's good news for those who continue to fight against their sin and their sense of unworthiness. Let me tell you, the good news is not just message and content, it's a person. It's Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected and exalted. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Psalm 32.5, I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. We're in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Sin will always bring us a great sense of unworthiness and condemnation. That's the inevitability of sin. But Jesus stands short to forgive us when we confess our sins. And when this incredible sense of sinfulness overwhelms us, like Simon Peter in our text, Jesus will free us from condemnation and fear. You know why? Because he's a good savior. He's good. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, a good and great savior. Our points for today, I have four of them for you. The scene in verses 1 through 2. Point number one, the scene, verses one to two. The second point, the summons. The summons, verses three through seven. Third, the sin, verses eight through ten. The sin, verses eight through ten. And we're going to close with the fourth point, the Savior, verses ten through eleven. The Savior, verses ten through eleven. So that is our time today. The Lake of Gennesaret, starting with the first point in the scene, the Lake of Gennesaret is also known as the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Tiberias. The different names are due to the reader providing the location of where the event occurred around the lake. That's why you get the different names, right? This is a big lake. And so if you're in the north, west part, or the east, it's, all, it's given different names based on where in the lake it is. Here, it's the Lake of Gennesaret, which is northwest of the lake here, south of Capernaum, actually. And so there the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. This was still within the first year of Jesus' messianic ministry, by the way. And by this time, some public events had happened that would cause a crowd to press in on Jesus to hear his word. By this time, Jesus was already proclaimed by John the Baptist in public. Remember Jesus changing water into wine? That also happened before this. You remember the clearing of the temple Jesus did publicly? He did that before this. What about uh, his baptism publicly where the father spoke and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased? He said this publicly to people. And then he also healed the official son and began to preach the kingdom publicly. Matthew 4, Mark chapter 1. So though Jesus is rejected in Nazareth, southwest of the lake, which was a passage we had already covered in Luke, he is seen and called now to give the word of God. So why did this crowd press on Jesus to give the word of God? 
Why did they do this? Why did they press against Jesus? Or in other words, force, they try to force Jesus to give them the word. This word press also means to continue with persistence. To continue with persistence. They continue to press Jesus with persistence to hear God's word from him. I was, you know, I remember that there were crowds mentioned throughout the Gospels. Out of all the crowds, I actually would want to be a part of this one, right? Because some crowds were rebuked for following Jesus for just wanting to eat food, right? That would have been me, by the way. I like to eat. Um, but many crowds followed him in the Gospels. Crowds were astonished at his teachings, you see. Great crowds followed Christ. When Jesus healed the paralytic in Matthew 9, crowds saw it. They were afraid, and it says they glorified God. Crowds actually marveled at Christ, somewhat confused as to how he could do what he's doing. Crowds sat by the beach and on the grass to listen to him. But the crowd in our text was pressing on him, insisting that they would hear a word from him. This questioned my desire to hear God and read his word. As much as I want to choose this crowd over others, I can say that I've been guilty of being in a crowd that has treated God's word with contempt. That would have been me. I would have been the one actually trying to throw him off the cliff for not doing what I wanted him to do. So disregarding God's word and not having that continual pressing into his word in prayer would have been us. But this crowd, for many, puts their view of God's word to shame, puts our view of God's word to shame because they're pressing and wanting to hear the word of God. So you're not pulling teeth here to hear God's word, right? They're, they're coming to church wanting to hear. They're not just coming to church because, man, I don't want to get a call Tuesday. Pastor Lewis is going to call me and ask me why I'm not here. So I'm going to come on Sunday so that way you don't call me on Tuesday. No, these people are coming because they want the word of God. So here is Jesus by the lake and the crowds pressing on him to give God's word. But notice that his gaze is not on the crowds. It's on two boats. Verse 2. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Matthew and Mark do not mention the crowds, but... All three speak of the nets that they had there. They were washing their nets, probably because there was nothing else to do since they took no fish in. According to verse 5 of our text, it tells us that. But what Jesus would do next would change these men forever. And it would come by Jesus calling them to let down their nets for a catch after they toiled all night catching nothing. Jesus would use this situation to give a command, I would say a summons, to those he will call his disciples, which is our second point, the summons in verses 3 through 7. So why use the word summons? The Greek term for summoning means that one is communicating directly or indirectly to someone at a distance to tell such a person to come. And it is used to speak of the one summoning, right? Some examples that we have of this word in the Greek, Herod in Matthew 2.7 uh, summons the wise men, and Pilate is summoning the centurion in Mark chapter 15. So this concept of summoning people 
is biblical. It's in there. And it's implied in our text. Stepping into one of the boats here, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water so then he would sit on the boat and then teach the crowds from there. Jesus steps into a fisherman's boat to share God's word. Very interesting. And so, for example, Jesus is showing them what they would be doing later. In verse 4, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So here's Jesus. He goes out to the boat, sits down, and is teaching the crowds. Then in verse 4, he tells them to put out into the deep the boat, let down your nets for a catch. After they toiled all night and caught nothing. So I would encourage you, uh, when you're reading the Gospels, to purchase or find J.C. Rowell's expository notes. Beautiful resource of notes. He said this. We should observe in this passage our Lord Jesus Christ's unwearied readiness for every good work. Once more, we find him preaching to a people who pressed upon him to hear the word of God. And where does he preach? Not in any consecrated building or a place set apart for public worship, but in the open air. Not in a pulpit constructed for a preacher's use, but in a fisherman's boat. Souls were waiting to be fed. Personal inconvenience was allowed no place in his consideration. God's work must, must not stand still. Jesus was giving an object lesson here of what they would be doing. Jesus was fishing as he taught the people from the boat. I think modern-day preachers would have chosen a higher ground over the boat. This is because the ground doesn't move. And positionally, being above people usually is the case, like right now, sorry to say. It's actually convicting to think about it right now and putting me in check, and they should put any pastor in check, that we're not better than you or higher than you. Jesus actually went to the boat, sat down, and taught them. So you're seeing Jesus positionally setting himself at a place to be on a boat that's on the water, which meant that it would have been unbalanced. Like he would have been talking like this. But I'd rather talk like this. No inconvenience was allowed in the place of gospel ministry. Or no convenience. Jesus, he's, he decided to speak from the boat to the people. And I think it was to make a point. The point being that when you're talking to people, you're fishing. When you're sharing the gospel, you're fishing. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And then in verse 5, Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. One of the things we have to notice here is that this is the first time that Jesus is called Master in the Gospels. Luke is the only Gospel account that records someone addressing Jesus as Master. You don't find that in the other Gospels. You find the word Master in there, 
But this is the first time in Luke where Jesus is addressed as master. In the other synoptic gospels, Jesus is referred to as rabbi and teacher. But only in the gospel of Luke is Jesus called master, and he's called master only by his followers. Addressing Jesus as master meant that Simon Peter viewed Jesus as a person of high status, a leader who was worthy to be honored and respected. And I think Luke here is wanting to show Theophilus that Jesus was in a position of high status and that he was worthy of respect and honor. Remember, Theophilus, who was called the most excellent, needed to understand Luke's point here, that Jesus is worthy of respect, honor, and actually has the highest status. So Simon Peter saw Jesus as worthy to be called master and to maintain respect. Simon Peter began with that to address Jesus the way he did. And so he did what Jesus asked him to do. Simon Peter said, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But Simon Peter did not consider who Jesus was in comparison to creation. Jesus is not just giving them advice. He's giving them a command. Don't forget who this is. A summons to catch fish, even though they tried to catch fish all night. He said, put out into the deep, let down your nets for a catch, even though you toiled all night and took nothing, is what Jesus is saying here. To them, they may have seen just a good teacher, even a miraculous worker. But this was God. God is asking them to do this. He's telling them to do this. And indirectly, through his example, he's summoning them to do this. A good lesson is that obedience to his call to us as the church to share the gospel and teach, as he did from the boat, should be done. They toiled all night and caught nothing. But when God says to cast your nets, we should obey. Well, man, I planted this church, and I only got 10 people coming, and it's been five years. Well, is that what God called you to do? Yes. It's okay. There's nothing harder than planting a church. Planting a church is one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. Matter of fact, the hardest thing. Because you can take easily and personally the growth and the mistakes of the church, right? So if if we were still at Market Street and we only had 15 people still, I would have to work through my soul and wonder, is this the will of God? Because the world and even the church world says that that's a failure. But what has God called us to do? Because fruitfulness is not what people think it is. These men toiled all night and caught nothing. But God said, cast out your nets. And his response was, Master, we, we toiled all night, we took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. It is no different today. It may look pointless and unfruitful for many of you to do what you're doing But always by his word, we obey no matter the results. 
The summons here was given by Jesus, God, the one who made the world and everything in it. The summons was a call to catch what they worked all night for. They caught nothing on their own, but at the word of Jesus, verse 6 tells us, when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. This was a summons, not so that they could catch fish and eat, this is so that they could be fishers of men. Jesus wasn't just teaching crowds. He also wanted to teach his disciples a vital lesson about being fishers of, of men. The lesson being that fruitfulness is not determined by our own efforts. Fruitfulness happens when God decides for it to happen and how it looks like. That's the lesson. What they told all night for and got nothing for it, the word given by Jesus gave them what to do. They did it, and it resulted in their nets being so full that it was breaking. Verse 7, they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. What would be the reaction to this? Oh, this was an object lesson, meaning that this was a teaching that consisted of using physical objects and visual aids as a lesson for them to learn. And this object lesson that taught them how they would be fishers of men, Jesus summons them by example, showing them what they would do themselves. But the reaction to this is no different than today when God calls us to the work of fishing. Some of you who are hesitant have this great sense of unworthiness that can overwhelm you to the point of being paralyzed. This happened to Simon Peter in our text, which is our third point, the sin in verses eight through 10 and verse eight. But when Simon Peter saw it, saw what Jesus did for them, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I'm no good, I don't deserve this. It's important to note that the other gospel accounts don't have this part of the story. Luke is saying something here. It seems that Luke is intentionally showing Theophilus that for Peter, there is a great sense of unworthiness when being called. Simon Peter was correct. He was a sinful man. He was, in truth, not worthy for the call. So much that he wanted Jesus to leave. He's telling Jesus, the savior of the world, leave me. I'm a sinful man. I shouldn't even step into the doors of this church. Why am I here? Am I wasting my time? I've done too much for God to love me. I've done too much damage. My life is a mess. You're the most qualified. The sinfulness of Simon Peter is compelling him to tell Jesus, who is without sin, to leave. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. So what was the primary cause to Simon Peter's sense of sinfulness? I do not think that it was his own sin, or as the world teaches, a self-realization of oneself. 
Verse 9 tells us what the cause was, starting in verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Verse 9, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. This sense of astonishment due to how unusual this was alarmed them to the point of their being convinced that Jesus was who he said he was. That's the cause to our feeling so overwhelmed with unworthiness. I look at God. Do I really believe? Do I really belong? Should I be here? Should I come here when I've done so much wrong and continue to struggle with so much wrong? You're the most qualified to be here. Turn with me to John chapter 3, because this happened to Nicodemus as well. I think the miracle-working power of Jesus is evidence that Jesus is a man of God and God himself. For Nicodemus, he realized that through what Jesus did, miraculously convinced him and the others that he was of God. Starting in verse 1, John 3, 1 and 2 now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God. Listen, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Same reaction Simon Peter had. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. And because God was with Christ, because Jesus was God himself, this is the cause to Simon Peter's sense of unworthiness and sinfulness. You're righteous. God is with you. God is not with me. The sinlessness of Jesus Christ proven by his messianic work will cause Simon Peter to feel his own sinfulness. But you know what? Jesus doesn't leave him there. Verse 10. And also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. He wasn't the only one there. It tells us that they were there as well. And Jesus doesn't leave them there to their sin. By the object lesson of Jesus that he's giving here, he's summoning them to be to be fishers of men, Jesus chose from the boat to speak to the crowds that were pressing on him to give them the word of God. Here, he was calling them to do the same. Simon Peter's reaction is no different than ours today. If you're here today, you feel a great sense of sinfulness and unworthiness when God is calling you. Our sense of ourselves in light of who Jesus is can easily discourage anyone from gospel ministry. Whether you're teaching kids or whether you're out with Carla evangelizing at the Planned Parenthood, it don't matter where in the spectrum of ministry you're in, that great sense of unworthiness is talked about in scripture. And not only does God expose it, he gives us the answer here as to what to do with it. For Simon Peter was so intense that he asked Jesus to leave. Have you ever felt this way? 
The danger to this is that we can end up with only our sense of our own sinfulness, forgetting and neglecting that Jesus is a savior. He's not just out to make you feel good about yourself. As a matter of fact, he'll tell you the truth about yourself. Can I get an amen on that? He's really good at that, isn't he? Don't get it twisted. Like, he'll tell you about yourself. You don't smell as good as you do. You don't, you don't look pr as pretty as you think. He tells you. The scriptures will tell you. It's a mirror. But Jesus would never call someone to a task apart from his help. It is by his word, not our own strength, that we can do what he has called us to do. And when our sinfulness reminds us of our unworthiness in light of God's holiness, we have Jesus who saved us and equips us for the work he has called us to do. Jesus would not let Simon Peter stay there. You know why? Because he's a savior. He's a deliverer. He's a good God. So I want to end with this point in verses 10 through 11, the Savior. In verse 10, Jesus said to Simon after Simon telling him, depart from me. I am a sinner. I'm sinful. Verse 10 tells us, Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. This was an object lesson, saints. The crowd was pressing on him to hear the word of God. Jesus saw two boats by the lake, and he got into one of the boats, the Simon Peter's boat. He sat down and taught the people from the boat, and he finished speaking. And he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon Peter spoke about how they worked the whole night and caught nothing. But at his word, at the word of Jesus, Simon Peter will let down the nets. When they had done what Jesus commanded their nets... Uh, what Jesus commanded them to do with their nets. Their nets were so full that their nets began to tear so much that others came and helped them out as well. Who is this miracle worker in our text? Who is this teacher who the crowds pressed to give the word of God? Simon Peter's response was right. Not only is he a master, he is the Lord. He is the Lord. He is a savior. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Simon Peter was right, but notice Jesus didn't correct him on his confession on being a sinner. But what Jesus did do was tell him that he no longer has to be afraid. And there lies the result of a beautiful, amazing, powerful, compassionate, Sovereign, good, steadfast, immovable, eternal, almighty, merciful, exalted, full of grace, holy Savior. He is good. A holy Savior who called Simon Peter by his own example to do the work of catching men. Of people who need a savior. The result is a man who realized his sin and hopelessness, but Christ gave him the hope of being free from fear. Simon Peter was right to say, depart from me. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. But I will tell you, this is what we need for mission. 
to know who Jesus is and who we are apart from him. Remembering that he has freed us, though, from our sin that we deserved. We deserve Jesus telling us to depart from him, which he will tell others on that day of judgment who think they know him by the works they do. Well, Lord, we cast out demons in your name. We did many mighty works in your name. We were busy doing the work. And he's saying, depart from me. I never knew you. You who practice lawlessness. We deserve that, which he will say on the day of judgment. But for us who have realized our sin, he has told us, as he told Simon Peter, do not be afraid. Romans 8.1, let me remind you, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Condemnation meaning that to judge someone as definitely guilty and thus subject to punishment. Condemnation means to render a verdict of guilt. But Jesus tells Simon Peter, fear not. And notice that it isn't anything or anyone other than Christ that makes these men fishers of men. Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. If Jesus would have left Simon Peter to his sin, Jesus could have said, you should be afraid. But in this object lesson, saints, Jesus gave them an example to follow, which is why this was a summons, a call to follow him to do the work of catching not fish, but a people. At the word of Christ telling them to go, they will go and turn the world upside down. Read the book of Acts. Jesus is worth following, saints. When he calls, we go. Broken and all, we go. And we go with the message of reconciliation. This is good news. The message being that Christ has set us free from condemnation. Sinners can come and be forgiven, no longer needing to fear condemnation, but it means that we follow him and show and share the gospel that he had given us. For the men in our text, in verse 11, it tells us, in closing, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. I want to end with a reminder as to why we are here at Christ Alone Fellowship. May we never forget what God has called us to do here in our city. The same call to catch men is the same call today. This is so important that Jesus reminded his disciples of this at the end of his ministry. He did this again to remind them. He wanted to empower them with the forgiveness they received and the gospel that they were given to then share this message of forgiveness and reconciliation to others. In closing, I want to go to John chapter 21, verses 1 through 17, and then we'll close. John 21, verses 1 through 17 to close. After this, this is at the end of his ministry. He resurrected already, and he's appearing to his disciples here. Starting in verse 1, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. 
Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Sound familiar? Verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast a net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Sound familiar? Verse 7. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this, is, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him for a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Do the work I called you to do. You would think that after Jesus did what he did, that they will go out and start catching men and women with the gospel. What did they do? They went back to what they were used to doing. They were fishers of men who left everything. But then after Jesus resurrected, they went back to what they were used to. Jesus is reminding them, this is not your ministry. Your ministry is to catch men and women, my people. And that is ours as well. Have you felt unworthy to serve? Unworthy to go out? Do you feel a great sense of your sin? Jesus doesn't leave you there. He's a good savior. He will not only rescue you from your sin. He will empower you to do what he has called you to do. So if you're here in this church here today. And you're a part of our church, know that you should not be intimidated by 
our missional heart for our city. It's really easy to say, I don't fit in this church because I'm not one to go out and be a Carla or to, to go out and share the gospel out on the street. You don't have to be. You know what God needs? He needs someone like Peter who realizes that without him, they're lost. And God will use them. So if you're here today, it don't matter what it looks like. The gospel is one message, but it can be shared so many different ways. Peter did work that Paul didn't do. Paul did work that Peter didn't do. But they had one message. So I'm calling you today, saints, don't be spectators. Don't be the ones waiting by, you know, the beach until the brothers and sisters fish and then they bring and then you're there just freeloading. No, God has called every one of us to be fishers of men. So that would be my exhortation to you today. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. Be with us. We thank you that you're a good savior that does not leave us to our sin. As you told Peter, do not be afraid. And then you empowered him to do mission. So you tell us. God, I pray that if there's someone here who has not come to saving faith, God, that you would deliver them from their sin, that you would allow them to feel a great sense of unworthiness and sin so that they can look to you as their savior. Only you can convict the heart only you can rescue us from our sin. You've given us all we need in Christ, who was the bread of life, who when we eat, we are eternally satisfied. Would you do that? Would you save those who need salvation? May they see their great sense of sin to see how great and awesome you are as a savior. We ask this in Jesus' name.